Hello, and welcome to another episode of All The Hacks, a show about upgrading your life, money, and travel. I'm your host, Chris Hutchins, and joining me today is entrepreneur, author, and friend, Noah Kagan. If you don't know Noah, he runs a company called AppSumo, which is actually the seventh million dollar business he's started. And he adamantly believes that anyone that puts their mind to it can launch a million dollar business. But not just that, he thinks you can do it in a weekend and is going to lay out the framework for us today. That's not to say you all need to plan on quitting your jobs right now, but it is such an incredible time in the world for entrepreneurship, and even if it's just a new side hustle you might want to start, I feel like the opportunities are endless. So today we're going to cover what idea you might want to start, how to get over some of the things that might hold you back, all the steps you actually need to follow to launch a business in 48 hours, how to apply these lessons to an existing job, even if you're not ready to be an entrepreneur yet, and a lot more. I am so excited for this conversation, and honestly, I wish I would have had it a few decades ago. So let's jump in right after this. There is nothing I love more than learning something I enjoy is actually so good for you, and nothing showcases that better than Pu'er tea. It has so many health benefits, and one of my favorite ways to consume Pu'er is from our sponsor today. Peaks Pu'er teas are all cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old trees rich in minerals, theraflavins, and catechins. Then everything is triple toxin screened for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold commonly found in plants. Using Peaks products is so easy and requires zero prep because they're all in pre-measured quantities that dissolve in cold or hot water in seconds, and they are so travel-friendly. They have so many different products, but this year, my two go-to teas are the Green Pu'er, which is great for mental clarity and energy, and the Black Pu'er, which helps kickstart digestion and metabolism with a rich, earthy flavor that is so good and probably one of my favorite teas to drink. And if you need another reason, search for all the amazing research-backed benefits of polyphenols for your gut microbiome, heart blood sugar, and then be happy that Pu'er is more concentrated in polyphenols than all other teas in the world. But you don't even have to take my word or do any of that research because Peak Tea offers free U.S. shipping, free returns, and a money-back guarantee. And for a limited time, you can get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link at allthehacks.com peak. That's P-I-Q-U-E. So check it out today at allthehacks.com peak. P-I-Q-U-E. Noah, thanks for being here. Chris, thank you for having me. So from the title of the book, it seems you might think that starting a company is the best way to build wealth. Is that true? Did you always think that if it is? Coming in hot. I love it. Let's just look at data. So do you put your money in the stock market at all? I do. Yeah, like a great return on the S&P 500 is like 10%. Wow. Yeah, I could lock in 10%. Boy, would I be happy. If you can do that, right? But if you look at the data since 1900, that's what you get at around 10 to 12% a year. Then if you look at you know housing, maybe it appreciates, but generally house, give or take, will do 5 to 7% return. Now, I'll just give you an example. With AppSumo, I put in $50 to start it, and last year I made $3.3 million. And I'm not saying that everyone can do that within a year, but over some time, the returns and upside of entrepreneurship are unlimited, while a lot of the costs are much smaller. And so just kind of maybe it's something I've thought about for a lot of people. It's like you can work your butt trying to get, you know, clean an attic. And then literally my house yesterday flooded a real estate house I have. Or you can just start your own business. There's different problems, but at least the upside and the influence of it are, are much higher. Did you always think of this way? I think you and I both share a similar background. Early careers all in startup land in Silicon Valley seemed like building tech companies is the way you make money. And then 
We probably had other friends that made money and, they, and then we're like, whoa, 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 maybe the money weighs money is real estate. Maybe real estate is how we make money. I keep hearing that this is the best thing ever. I have uh, both FOMO about not buying more real estate and deep satisfaction only owning my house. My next book is called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Stepdad. And uh, <laughs> it's like there's another dad that no one ever talked about that was just like, I don't know why these guys are working so hard. I think what's been interesting, you, we talked before about my YouTube channel. One of the coolest things is that there's, there's so many different ways of getting rich. And you know, when you grew up, I grew up a few miles from Apple. My father sold copiers. My stepfather was a computer programmer. And I thought that's just the way to have it, money. But I realized, and it's, wow, there's so many other ways like fruit selling, <laughs> basements. This guy, Larry Janeski, Michael Hudger did ships. Paul Mitchell did hair care, hair care. And yes, there is a lot of money in, in the internet too, which just came out 24 years ago, if you think about it. And that always gets me so excited is that there's so many different ways for people to find what they're interested in. And look, if you have a day job, I think that's even better because now you have an investor, which is your employer, to now explore all these other options that can create unlimited wealth for you. And do you think this is a path for everyone? Or how do you think about building companies and starting side hustles for someone who maybe never thought that was for them? Most people want to be time millionaires. I would say that's universal. And most people would like to be a millionaire or beyond. And they actually realize that you probably need less money to live a very satisfied life. That's why in the book, I've talked about like the freedom number, because you realize that number is actually a lot less than you think. What I've recognized though, is most people think it's this big, scary thing. Like take my brother, for instance, he's a doctor. So he went to school for 10 years. He got a certificate to do his stuff. And what's crazy about entrepreneurship, you don't need a certificate. <laughs> Everyone has permission and you don't even have to be tall. You know, I'm only 5'10". You could be really short or you could be super tall or you could be anything. And I think that's just so amazing how accessible it can be. And the reality though, is that we create this big, scary monster of, well, I've got to be a talkative person, or I've got to go be on Twitter, or I've got to go sell. And, and that's just not the case. But you do have to think, wow, I could maybe do this. Let me see how I can maybe change my life in a weekend, which I would say is possible for everyone out there. And especially if you have a day job. I don't know if you've ever been fired, Chris. You've been fired? I have. And I've been fired twice. And thank you, Mark. And thank you, Matt Kohler. Thank you, Aaron Patzer. And the beauty of getting fired is the moment I realized that I'm not in control of my livelihood. These two people at two companies, Facebook and Mint, which I was early at, I decided that I'm not good to be there anymore. So it really sparked with me, thank God early on, like, wow, if that could happen, I need to protect myself. And so you can create a business, it could be a flower shop, and then keep your day job as well. So at AppSumo, where I work, we have this lady, Amy, she has a flower shop and a hair salon. And she's also our head of customer support. <laughs> you have Nick Christensen, who has a teeth whitening clinic up in Dallas, and he leads our growth team. And so it doesn't mean you have to quit your day job. Ideally, maybe have both, at least have that option available to you. I think maybe it's Silicon Valley, but it, it felt to me for so long, maybe until this podcast, that starting a company was like, I'm going to start a thing that's all consuming, that's going to be everything to me, and I'm going to work a million hours a day and have thousands of employees, or it's a failure. I love the line, like, don't trade your nine to five for a five to nine, right? The whole point of being an entrepreneur is that you can then become a time millionaire as well. Like, I'm going to Spain in two weeks to have a family. And that's a lot. You know, if I had a boss who was like, no, you can't travel. You got to come to the office. You got to, no, 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 But entrepreneurship gives me that affordability. And with business, the greatest part about it, which people don't recognize, is that, yes, it does take some effort to get started. Yes, you have to find something people are excited to give you money for, but you can ultimately spend most of your time, if not all of it, in just the areas you like. 
And guess what? There's people that like doing customer support like Amy, which I don't know how she does it. Shout out, Amy. I love you. And there's people who like doing operational stuff. Dusty, Vanessa, thank you guys for doing that. And they're happy there. And they get to live their dream lives. And that is available. It's not such this like, oh, I've got to spend all night and don't have any free time around it. That, that's what this stuff enables you to have that option available. And you said the freedom number people need is a lot smaller than you think. Yeah. For me, it always seemed risky. This freedom number, that way I realized it, and I've noticed that a lot of other entrepreneurs have had, it always seems so risky to have these day jobs like I did at Intel. And then I thought, oh man, entrepreneurship, I don't know how much I have to make. And then I recognized like, well, how much do I need to really be able to do the thing I want to do and have freedom? And it was way less than I expected. And it really came down to kind of three categories, which is like living, entertainment, and savings, or living, food, savings. And for me, it was $3,000. And when I was at my day job, I was like, well, if I can get the side hustle to that number, then I can quit. And I, I never encourage people to, to actually go take a risky thing. It seemed risky to quit your job to try to hopefully start a business. It's not what I want people to do. And when you realize how much smaller that number is than you expect, you realize it's also more attainable. And so I've twice quit jobs and then gone on once I hit my $3,000 freedom number. And so for you, that's 3000 But do you think that gets a lot harder as people age, have more responsibility, family? Yeah, it just takes longer. Everyone has their own number based on their own lifestyle. So today... I think my credit card bill, I don't know. By the way, the cool part about eventually getting money is that you don't have to worry about budgeting or worry about having enough for retirement. You don't even have to think about it. And I think that's available for everyone. But I just had to do a CNBC show. I think my credit card bill with all things is like 25000 a month. So it goes up over time. But then obviously, I've built up businesses and stuff like that. But what people are trying to do, if you have kids, and I've noticed there's a guy named Jake who wrote a million dollar weekend. He's got three kids. He's got a wife. They got a house. So it's not something he can just quit overnight. But if he never gets started, then he's never even going to get to that number. I think for him, my guess, I think it was around $10,000. But you have to get started so that you can even get to that point. Same as I got started with AppSumo. I started with a weekend and I made my first $12, my first sale. And so weekend, why a weekend? Why not a week? Why not a month? Why do people need to figure this out so quickly? You have a family, right? You have two kids. And you have, I mean, you have this podcast, but you have a job and you have a wife to take care of. Yeah. Most people don't have a lot of time. Right. It's hard. If you, and you already got your already obligations, you got commitments and you're like, maybe it's just easier to put in the stock market. But what everyone has is a weekend. Everyone has at least one weekend they can do something. Right. Maybe not every single weekend, which is everyone's got 52 of them, but maybe one a year. And because we don't have as much time available, how do we find what's just the essence of getting started? And if you can do that in a very limited time, which creates a lot more creativity, I do believe limitation instills creation. And when you have this limitation, you're like, well, I'm not going to mess around and I can't goof around and buy a bunch of ads or I can't, I don't have time to make a YouTube channel because I only got a weekend to get this done. And especially someone like yourself, if you were in that tech job and had a family where you are today, you don't have a lot of time for that. And so how do we focus on just the things that matter? And what I have found through myself starting businesses in a weekend and through others, this 48 hour time period is the best window to change your life. And how far do you have to get? I look at this podcast as an example that's now my full-time job and my wife's full-time job. But when I started it, it was like, it was just a side project that I liked. It cost money and, and did not make any money at the beginning. You could argue I maybe started it in a weekend, but I didn't have those ambitions. Where does stuff like that fit into this? How long did it take for you to quit your day? Did you quit your day job when you started this or did you? It probably took... I started the podcast in May... 2021. And I quit my day job in December 2022. And how much were you making at the pod that you felt comfortable to quit your day job? Crossed to a point that it replaced my work income. That's your freedom number. And so 
the reality is that in a weekend, you could find out if something that people want. And then the other part of success, and you asked about billionaires, which I've interviewed a lot on my YouTube channel and worked for them directly, is that you become a billionaire, but you have to do compounded action over a long period of time. And most people are quitting too soon. So you have to initially find something people actually really want. And then you do have to stick with it for some period of time where like at AppSumo, I don't think I made my first million dollars a year salary until year seven. I paid myself, I think, $0 first year, $40,000 next year. And frankly, if I would have just stayed at Intel or any of these other jobs, I probably would have made more most of the time, but I kept sticking with it, kept having good results, promising. And then over time, it was like, wow, now we actually have enough. I can take a little bit for myself. And then eventually, it was like a lot for myself. But you have to start and then you have to stick. And you are a great example of that. So the goal of the weekend isn't to, to kind of fast track your way to millionaire status. It's to make sure you validated that the thing you're working on could really be big enough to be the thing you want to do full time. It's recognizing that you can create a million dollar opportunity for yourself in a very short period of time. And think in 10 years, I believe someone will make a million dollars in a weekend, legitimately, not like through drug dealing or something shady. Or that app that was like $20,000 or something. <laughs> it could be that. You could sell pinball machines. This is actually, you could totally validate a pin. I love pinballs. I got an arcade at my house. You could sell $15,000 pinballs. And I, I walk people through business models and such in the book, one minute business models, because you don't have a lot of time to make a million dollars selling 15,000 pinballs, depending on what the costs are like, you know, maybe you'll need to sell a hundred or two. It's not about business over the next few years. Yeah. It was actually pretty crazy. Do you know Stern pinball? No. So let's say you love arcades. And, and this is the thing, again, you can make money in different ways. Maybe it's a podcast show. Maybe it's videos. Maybe it's lawn care. Maybe it's games. And Stern pinball, which I don't know if they do a billion dollars in sales, but definitely in the tens, if not hundreds of millions, it's the number one pinball maker. They showed a video about how they make pinball. And this is the same stuff I teach in Million Dollar Weekend, which I thought was so unique, is that instead of building this whole pinball thing and making sure people like it, they literally take a piece of wood and then they pretty much the same day, they put pieces of metal on the wood and they throw a ball at it. And they see what happens as they throw the ball at this piece of wood. And then you realize, wow, pretty quickly they can see if the game that they're starting to think of is going to be interesting. And that's the same thing you can apply in business, which is how can I see if this is something people really want? Maybe it's a show, maybe it's a pinball game. Maybe it's going to be food. Maybe it's a software product. Maybe it's lawn care. So that if I'm going to work on it for some period of time, I know that there's at least customers who are excited to be purchasing it and be a part of it. I'm not sure what's on tap for your 2024. Maybe you're thinking about buying a house, planning to launch a business, or welcoming a new addition to the family. If that sounds like you and you want some help preparing for these events with confidence, you have to check out Facet. In fact, when I shut down my financial planning firm, we did extensive research on what financial service company to recommend to our clients, and we landed on Facet, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor today. Facet makes financial planning accessible to everyone and addresses one of my biggest frustrations with this industry. I've long hated how so many advisors charge a high percentage of your assets, but not Facet. They only charge a flat annual membership fee, which means you actually keep more of what you invest. Through their tech platform, you'll get access to financial experts and a team of specialists across investments, taxes, and more. So tackle the uncertainty you're feeling about your finances and replace it with some real confidence about your money. Go to allthehacks.com slash facet, that's F-A-C-E-T, and they'll even waive the $250 enrollment fee for all of you. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash facet, F-A-C-E-T. Facet Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. Past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. Offer expires March 31st, 2024. Terms and conditions apply. 
Did you know that someone new gets impacted by identity theft every two seconds? It makes sense when there's so much of our personal information getting shared online without our consent. I found a listing for my dad on a site called Family Tree Now that had his name, age, address, phone number, email, past addresses, and the names of his relatives. And that was just one of the 69 listings that had his info. Fortunately, instead of spending hours finding all the sites with his info and submitting the request to take it down, I got it all done in minutes with Delete Me from Abine, and I am so excited to be partnering with them for this episode. Delete Me is an amazing service that will not just find and remove your personal information from over 500 data broker websites, but they'll continuously scan for new data that shows up and get that removed as well. On average, Delete Me finds and removes over 2,000 pieces of data for a customer in their first two years, and to date, they've removed over 35 million pieces of data for their customers. So if you want to get your personal information removed from all these listings on the internet, go to allthehacks.com slash delete me and get 20% off a plan for you or your entire family. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash delete me. What's the high level process someone needs to go through? I was going to joke like, well, you get the, it's in the book. It's a good investment. (laughs) But no, I'll give it to you for free. I'll give it to you for free. So if you have to break it down, there's three categories of getting a million dollar weekend business going, which is, you know, starting it, building it and growing it. And I would say there's so many business books out there. And especially for a lot of your audience, you have really good looking audience. That's a fact. You have a lot of six figure audience that a lot of have kids and they're probably happy with the S&P 500, 12%, or maybe they got crypto lucky, or they bought some silly NFT moon cats, which I didn't lost a lot of money on. I, I do think they, most people want to have more money. And what I've seen from it, there's start it, build and grow it. There's a woman who was at Warby Parker named McKinsey, and she dreamed the same thing. So the first part though, is how do you get good at starting and asking? Those are the two biggest things holding people back from success in really entrepreneurship, but also in life. Like I, I would say this book is almost as much self-help as it is start a business in a weekend. So how do you practice starting right now? Because the more that you can get started and, you know, let's say you want to do a podcast. Let's put an episode out today. I have a YouTube channel, million subscribers. My first video that I did three years ago was with an iPhone 10 and me shirtless. And it was just a video talking about COVID. Fast forward today, each video costs $20,000 to make, but I got started. And then over time, I was able to add maybe a videographer or a little better camera or a little better lighting, a little better scripts, a little better thumbnails, and you stick with it, you keep improving it. And then now, you know, the, the videos are more polished and so forth, but you have to practice how do you get started right now? The second thing is asking. Everything in life is asking, like your wife, you had to ask her to marry you, <laughs> right? You have to ask for a raise. You have to ask for things. And so... People have a negative connotation of asking, and then they have this fear of rejection, this really strong fear of, wow, I'm not good enough or they don't like me. And so when we can do that in silly things like McKinsey, so she dreamed of having her own business and so she loved connection. And so she wanted to start a greetings card company and it's called marymakery.com. I got to give her a shout out. She's read Million Dollar Weekend. And she emailed some of her coworkers at Warby Parker. She said, I want to do a greeting card. Do you guys, any, anyone want to buy some of my greeting cards? And she asked. And the beauty of asking is that you can get what you want. If you don't ask, you can't get. And you didn't have to build a big website. You didn't have to buy a domain. You didn't have to do anything. But you practice this in small things. And then in her first year of sales so far, she's done $50,000 in greeting cards. Greeting cards. And by the way, Hallmark has a TV show or a channel, right? And they started the exact same way. I think people never make their million dollars because they don't make their first dollar. 
and they're not making their first sale because they don't get started. And they don't realize it can be fun and you can get started today. The second section of the book is like, okay, you started things, you feel good about yourself, you got momentum, you got the skills. Now, how do you build it? Right. And so I would say there's kind of three pieces of that. How do you find ideas? And there's more than enough. And we, we can go through some today. How do you see, make sure it's a million dollar opportunity? How do you make sure that there's a business model there? And then the part three of the book is grow it, which is like, can we really get customers? And then how do you take it to thousand, ten thousand, million dollars and beyond? So let's take an example of, for me, I, I've found that there's three ways to get business, but let me just show people in the audience one thing right now. Let's just do a fun one. So for people listening, text someone right now, hey, what kind of business do you think I would start? And that's an ask and that's a start, right? You're starting something right now, you're doing it. And guess what? You're going to get a result. And that's a free business idea that you can already do for yourself. And one of the best ways to think about business ideas is what have you gotten paid for in the past? Or who do you have influence around? Who do you have in your zone of influence in your network? Make it easy on yourself. So I'll give you three other business ideas in three minutes and three ways. So number one, just think about your day-to-day -day and, and break it out. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Think of something annoyed you. That's a business opportunity. Every problem is a business opportunity. The other one, number two, think about something you spend money on. Look at your credit card bill. I was really annoyed with DocuSign. I keep signing up for new accounts so I don't have to pay. So I was like, I'm tired of that. And so two weeks ago, I read Million Dollar Weekend <laughs> and I followed the process and I made $3,000 in one day. And now in the next 30 days, I'm delivering a DocuSign alternative. I don't have a website. I don't have a domain. I don't know what we should call it. People have ideas. Let me know. But I have a million dollar business opportunity. And then the third one is what have you avoided doing? What's on your to-do list that you have not done? There are other ways in the book. There's six other ways, but I'm giving some quick ones that people can start thinking about themselves. Now, the two other high pieces, and again, if you go to milliondollarweekend.com, it's super broken out there. But next up, is it a million dollar opportunity? Is there at least a million dollars of money being spent? And then what does the business model look like for you to actually make a million bucks? And so I was doing lawn care because that's what people told me to start as a business. I want to prove how to do it. Now, if you do lawn care and you're selling one-off lawn care, you have to, at let's say 50 bucks a lawn, that's a lot of lawns. So by just having a one-minute business model, it's like, all right, well, I need to sell monthly subscriptions. And what I aim for in the business model and in general is how hard does this actually look? Like, do I have to sell 5,000 different lawn care things? That's tough. Now, next up, you have the idea, you've done the check in the business model. You have to see if you can actually get customers for it. And I always recommend three customers in 48 hours. I found that if you cannot get three, you're not going to be able to get beyond that after the weekend. And there's three ways you can do it. You can pre-sell it. You can post it on marketplaces. So you can post it on Etsy, Craigslist, Indie Hackers, Reddit, things like that, where there's people that are looking to pay. Or the third way is landing pages and ads. I love pre-selling because it's the most direct. And you could do it in a non in a non-salesy way. You can just get feedback from people in, that you think you can help. That's pretty detailed about it. And then grow it is how do you set up your you know, social media? How do you set up your email list, which everyone should do? And then setting up your growth machine to make this stuff on repeat. That's the million dollar weekend at a high level. And you have someone like Mackenzie who quit a very high paying job. I did not recommend that. And in one year was able to get to around $50,000. And I have a friend, he works at Amazon. He makes 400K, which is very common. I mean, okay, 400K is a lot, but let's just say 120K or something like that. And he started a side hustle. And in his first year, he made a thousand bucks, which is great. And he quit. And the question that I always think about for myself is, what is the 10 years from now Noah going to thank me for? And for him, if he would have stuck with that, this is a few years ago now, I promise that for him and for everyone out there, if you can find something that actually works, which it was working for him, he was making content about food. You know, these like food cooking shows. Yeah. If he would have stuck with it, it was working. 
you know, five years from now, that could have easily surpassed the amount of revenue that he's getting in his day job. And you keep both or he can have that option to do that full time if he wants. I found firsthand you don't have to give it up, right? I was working for 18 months while doing this. And when you talked about pre-selling, it was interesting. There are some businesses like what we're doing, we're selling, you know, the person who might pay the bill isn't the person, the audience. But what I did when I started was I made a trailer and I was like, will anyone subscribe to this podcast after hearing just the trailer? I didn't have to make Ooh, an episode. I love that. You know? I recorded a one minute trailer, two minute trailer and was like, this is what this show's about. And fortunately, Apple and Spotify will show you like, did you get followers? Did people say, I want to see what happens next? Give that example. So I'm guessing you follow kind of the same playbook I'm, I'm going to recommend in the book and beyond. And again, I think people think it's so simple. They're like, no, nah, but I got to make it more complicated, right? Isn't this stuff supposed to be fancy? It's like, yes, it eventually gets fancy. Right, like AppSumo now has a 20 person engineering team, 20 person plus marketing team. But it starts that you just kind of post it on there and then you tell some friends and then you kind of do that a little bit more and a little bit more. And yes, there's other parts of the process. But I think people want to not trick, but make you believe it's much more complicated and people are further away skill wise than they think. And, and I, I've seen so many smart people stuck in jobs that are, if not better than me and skilled, just as good as me. They just have, have been a little bit more afraid than me. And if they just do some small things today, I think they'll be shocked at their confidence and their abilities of what they can actually do. For yourself with your podcast, how did you get your first few listeners? I don't think you just posted it and prayed. Basically, I had like six or seven projects that had email lists. And I was like, okay, well, when I launch this thing, I'm just going to email all these people. And someone was like, well, if you do that, they might get upset and report you as spam. I was like, why don't you even have a newsletter? But they had subscribed and opted into something. So I felt that was okay. Exactly. And then it started when a friend of mine I told him, I was like, I was thinking of starting a podcast. He was interviewing me about something random on his podcast. And he was like, pause. And then like kind of, he goes, all right, I want you to go home and record a one minute trailer and then we'll just splice it in. And so I came, I spliced in this audio that was like, all right, so the podcast is called this. I only had two days to name this podcast because, you know, he interviewed me about the podcast and he's like, I need a name. I need you to send me an audio file. So I was forced, I don't know if it was a weekend, but I was forced in like 48 hours to name the podcast and set up a website and create a trailer and put it up there. But I hadn't lined up an interview at all. Well, I think most people get it wrong is that that's what they believe they have to do first. They're like, all right, well, I need to go learn how to even set up a website. Now I got to waste time on that. And then I got to pay for a domain. And then I need to do this and this and this. And no, just put out a trailer, send it to friends and see if anyone subscribes. If people do great now, do all these other things. Most people just do it backwards. And I think that's been a big misconception. Like there's a guy, Jake, who read the book and she has three kids, day job, very common. He's had the same idea for 24 months. He wanted to be a good example to his kids. That's what he told me. So I read the book and in a weekend, which he was like, yeah, it's worth it. I asked him what he would tell others. He's like, it's just worth it. He didn't want to wonder what if. And I thought that was amazing. And in one weekend, he was able to validate his golf trips for guys business. What a unique idea. And now he has five customers. They've paid $15,000, I think $3,000 each. And he's, gonna, he's aiming to get eight of them. And in August of this year, he's going to take these guys on a golf trip someplace. I don't know anything about golf, but some course. <laughs> and I think he's going to make, I don't know, 5K, give or take for himself. And that, guess what? That's the start. And that's amazing. And he didn't quit his job to do it. No, he still has his job. And I was like, do you have any social media? He's like, no. He's like, I have my email address. So <laughs> I think it's like jakemdw.311. Anyways, message me and I'll put you in touch with Jake if you like golf trips and want to have fun with other dudes. Well, one thing you didn't say, but I know you said in the book because I read it, was you have to love the thing and it makes it so much easier. Maybe you don't have to, but it really helped. 
I often tell people they're thinking of ideas. I'm like, what would you go do for free? Like, what do you just look at your internet history? Where did you spend all of your time? If you love going researching X, Y, and Z, like, is there something that you could do there? And for me, everyone I knew was always like, you always do all this homework. Can you just tell me the answer? Like, <laughs> I would go to a dinner table and someone's like, yeah, 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 I know you know all the credit card stuff. Can you just tell me which one to get? Or can you just tell me, you know, what insurance is the right policy? And I was like, oh. What if I just did all this research and shared it? Or what if instead of doing the research, I interviewed the people while I was doing it and shared it? And so I think it didn't start with the ambition of being a full-time job or anything. It just started as a thing that I liked doing. And in fact, it actually started as an idea of a parenting podcast. And one of my pieces of advice I'll give people, friends are often too nice. And so I told people, I was like, oh, I'm going to start this parenting podcast because right before we had our first child... I got really into going down all these rabbit holes of parenting research. And I was researching strollers. I think that I have the most comprehensive stroller comparison database and spreadsheet that exists out there in the world. It's about 3 years out of date, but for circa 2020, it's the best. And I had gotten caught up in the fact that I love doing all this research and thinking, wow, I'm doing it on this topic. I should start a podcast on this topic. And everyone I knew was like, that's a great idea. And then I was like, you know what? After we had the kid and we done bought the stroller and we bought all the items, I was like, I think I liked researching things more than I liked that topic solely. And I was like, what if I just did it about all the hacks and it was just me researching everything? And all my friends said, oh, that's so much better. That's exactly who you are. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> so I like the fact that instead of texting your friends and saying, what do you think of X? Ask them first. Because I've found in the past that if you tell them you want to do something, they're often either completely dismissive or completely supportive. And it's very hard for them to think, oh, well, that's great. But like this other thing might be better. A common theme I've heard, find something you love. You never work a day in your life. I think that's said by people who, who actually like their jobs. And there's people who, you know, I'd say 80% don't. And then what they'll do to avoid it is like, well, I wouldn't want to do that for a living. I like researching a lot, but that's just more my hobby. It's like, you know what happens in business as you get going? You don't do any of the actual work, which is counterintuitive. Like, you know, the last time I got an AppSumo deal, 2011, All right, All right. You know, like it's been 13 years. And I remember someone saying that and I was like, oh, interesting. So don't trade your time for money, trade your money for someone else's time. And that's how business happens. And if you do enjoy it, frankly, you're like, hey, actually, no, I like customer support. I like all these areas. Great. But it doesn't have to be that case. And I, and I love your, your highlight of find something that you just enjoy doing. I always like the idea too, of if you have a million dollars, like I send you a million dollars today, what are you doing tomorrow? I am doing it. I'm doing it. I'm talking about a book because this is what I wish I would have had when I was getting started. I get to promote deals on AppSumo. Like I get to make YouTube content or I interview rich people and ask how they did it. I don't know. Like, I can't believe most days I can't believe this is my career. I like type on a keyboard and like money comes. And then I also recognize that it started as a hobby. And I think that's a big thing people don't think of. They're like, no, no, it's got to be a million dollar crazy thing. It's like, no, no, no. Most big billion trillion dollar businesses started as just curiosity, right? Airbnb, one of my favorite examples, started in a weekend. They emailed people saying, hey, does anyone want to stay at our couch for this design conference in SF? Someone did. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. They weren't setting out to change, you know, annoy everybody in the world and make the world kind of cooler. And same thing with a lot of these other businesses. I was talking to a mentor of mine. Well, I might get back on the show, Andy Ratcliffe, who started Wealthfront. And he told me two things that are pretty relevant. One, he's like, I've done a lot of investing in my career. At the earliest stage, 
I honestly don't even know if the idea matters at all. The idea might change. The idea might evolve. People haven't really baked it. It's really about how excited is the person about this idea and how driven are they? And then he said, and the one skill I value the most is intellectual curiosity. He just wants people that are excited about a thing and want to learn more about it. And he's like, that is something I really value. And so, you know, it made me think, oh, we're having this conversation today. That was a couple of days ago. What are you just curious about? Like, what are the things that you just can't stop thinking about? And how could you solve some problem? Again, I spent a career also in product management. Forget about solutions. Just figure out what people are having problems with. Ask them what's wrong in their day. I love this exercise. Walk through a friend's day and just be like, all right, tell me everything that sucked in lots of details. Like, okay, you were making breakfast. What would have made breakfast less frustrating? I don't know. My cast iron skillet's always hot. I don't, I don't know what the, what the idea is right now. I forgot to turn the stove off, which I did this morning. When it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you've already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. And now that I'm working with Gelt, I finally feel like I have a partner I can trust to handle everything for my business and personal taxes. And I'm excited to partner with them for this episode. Think of Gelt as the ultimate modern CPA. They not only offer an amazing tech platform that gives you personalized guidance to maximize deductions, tax credits, and savings, but also every Everything is backed by an in-house team of expert CPAs who can recommend the most effective tax strategies to minimize risk and grow your wealth. And best of all, you can have this transparent, open communication with your team in whatever way works best for you, whether that's on their platform, over email, in Slack, or scheduling a call. Finally, my favorite story is that when we first onboarded with Gelt, they reviewed our past returns and found a huge mistake our prior CPA had made, so they refiled and got us back all that money. So if you're ready for a more premium, proactive tax strategy to optimize and file your taxes, you have to check out Gelt. And as an All The Hacks listener, you can skip the wait list and get started today. Just head to allthehacks.com slash Gelt, G-E-L-T. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash G-E-L-T. It seems like with every business, you get to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things that you used to do in a day are taking a week and you have too many manual processes and there's no one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle and I'm excited to partner with them for this episode. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place, which I can tell you from all the companies I've run, makes everything so much better. So right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at allthehacks.com slash NetSuite. That's allthehacks.com slash NetSuite to get your own KPI checklist, allthehacks.com slash NetSuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E. 
I just want to thank you quick for listening to and supporting the show. Your support is what keeps this show going. To get all of the URLs, codes, deals, and discounts from our partners, you can go to allthehacks.com slash deals. So please consider supporting those who support us. Let's take a little turn. You mentioned you've interviewed a lot of millionaires, billionaires. What are some of the lessons you've learned from all those conversations? I've also worked for them, right? So one thing I've noticed is that I think we all imagine that they're better than us. And when you actually meet millionaires or multimillionaires or billionaires, nope, not really. (laughs) And that's beautiful, right? Because that means that everyone has a chance to create whatever life they want. There are gifted people. Like Zuckerberg is definitely smarter than most people. Bill Gates, who I've worked for, smarter than most people. Peter Thiel, who I've gotten to hang out with a little bit, smarter than most people. But there's also a lot of billionaires. Larry Janeski, I would say he's very smart, but he's also a pretty normal guy that I, I think a lot of us can do. Now, I would say some of the things in in common between them is that most of them got rich off one thing, but all of us diversify, (laughs) right? It's actually counterintuitive. They're like, diversify, diversify, but they only really got rich one way. You know, go look at any of these rich person lists, you know, it's either real estate or it's tech outside of inheritance. It's almost exclusively one thing. They stick with it for extraordinary long periods of time. Extraordinary. And I, I think, you know, especially with your show, Chris, talk about what to choose for stocks or index funds and things like that and investing, you know, think about compound business. So sticking with something for 20 years, like you've been doing your show three years, think about it in 30 years, right? Like how big that will be where each year you're just like getting a little better at your craft, getting a little more popular and you just stick with it and stick with it. And, and all these guys got rich to become billionaires in around 20 years, which I think is super, super interesting. I like John Paul DeJoria a lot. I don't know if all of them were happy. A lot of them seem to have regret that they didn't spend more time with their family. I'm glad I got to learn that from them. But I would say John Paul DeJoria seemed like he had the right balance where, and as I said earlier, you know, the book starts with how do you get good at asking? He said that the most important skill that he's ever had is sales, which is really asking. And I liked his approach of businesses, which he said, find the best product that you really love in a category that needs to be reordered and just do that for a very long period of time. And so he did tequila. Patron sold that for three and a half billion because you keep, I guess people keep drinking and they need hair care, Paul Mitchell hair care, which you keep using hair care. And then I'd say the last thing specifically, especially from him, because a lot of these guys seem frustrated or seem like they're chasing still more sometimes, which I was like, oh, I don't want that. He seemed just kind. He seemed really, really kind. I really admired that. Like he was kind with me. His staff was kind. He was kind to the other people that were filming. The day he sold Patron... He gave a $50 million check to charity. He seemed genuinely like kind with himself and then kind with others. And that's definitely something I've worked on in the past few years. And I, I love that from him. Yeah, I had a great conversation with Gary V about kindness and just how he thinks it's like the most underrated business skill in the market. I think self-kindness is probably underrated. I think we're all disgusting to ourselves. <laughs> I think we're really harsh on ourselves. And that's something I've definitely worked on. I'm not trying to think of underrated skills. I'll tell you, underrated skill is gift giving. Super underrated in business. So, so underrated. And as well, like doing the work for people you want to have help from or people you want to ask. Like if you want to come on someone's show, like I could have even done more for you, even though we just met yesterday <laughs> or we connected yesterday. But hey, let me come back with ideas for you. Or I was able to meet the people from CNBC. So I'm coming on the show, make it. And the guy loves his new dog. And so I asked someone who loves dogs for what's the coolest dog toy. And so it's this thing from Fable where it spits out dog food as a game. So it's a little gift thing. I was like 50 bucks. Like that's going to create a cool relationship for life. 
So I think those are kind of two things that I would say are definitely underrated in in a business or in, frankly in life. Now that I'm just thinking about ways that you've changed your life, how does your routine look on a day-to-day basis in terms of when you're doing business, when you're spending time on yourself, your partner, your health? Yeah. I think a lot of the more morning routine content is very overrated. I think it's so overrated. It's like, oh, get up and meditate and fucking journal. Sorry, freaking journal. And then drink whatever. I don't know. People don't drink bulletproof coffee anymore. I don't know whatever the new coffee fat is. And then, I don't know, jump in a cold shower and all that crap. What I found is just look at the days that worked out well for you and try to have common elements between them. So what I have recognized is like, I do like journaling on Monday morning. That works out. And I've copied that from the book Artist's Way, which is amazing. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend about how to be a creative person. So I do that on Monday mornings and I don't eat until 12 because it made me feel like, okay, it's good to feel a little hunger sometimes. So that's Mondays. And then the rest of my week, I don't do anything else before noon. That's every day. I'm trying to think of high level things that I can recommend for most people. I color code my calendar. I think that's probably one of the cooler things that people can do. And it's really just showing you your asset allocation or your time allocation. You think about it where, all right, how much did I spend with my family? How much did I spend in fitness? How much did I spend at work? How much did I spend myself? And a lot of my stuff is on repeat. So... I know that every Monday, I'm going to have journal. It's in my calendar. Every month, I have my monthly personal finance review on my Google spreadsheet. And say other routine stuff, maybe just high level two other ones that people can copy that I, I found. I do a weekly review on Fridays, every single Friday. That's been a game changer where I evaluate how did I show up as a leader one through five and why? How was my emotional consistency? I've noticed sometimes, like even yesterday, I was a little bully, I would say sometimes. And I was like, ooh, I don't like that. And then the last one on Fridays is what, do you, what are the three things you want to do next week? And then every Sunday, I take the three things I want to do next week and work with my chief of staff to really help schedule and color code the things I'm working on in this upcoming week. Morning routines, frankly, just don't drink too late at night and then try to go to bed relatively early. That you're going to have a pretty damn great routine in the morning. I've noticed I use like the aura ring and people do a bunch of stuff, but ultimately it really comes down to that. Counterintuitively, by the way, I think there's going to be a big trend that wives and husbands tend to sleep in separate rooms. Because I think when your partner gets you up, and you're like, oh man, I did not sleep as well. But I, I think there's just too much friction on that. I did an episode on sleep and I can't remember the interviewee, but a couple of weeks ago, and I asked a question about sleeping with your partner. And she's like, I interviewed the world's expert on sleeping. There's something like some book that this person wrote and she interviewed it. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it was all about how do you optimize your sleep when you're also trying to consider the fact that you have another human in the bed and, and what's the right tactic here? I have not listened to the episode, full disclosure, so I can't endorse it. I mean, I think the same thing for Million Dollar Weekend, the same thing about how I run AppSumo.com, and the same thing with these routines is, is experiment. That's all it comes down to, and experiments can fail, but experiments can work. And so I've done 30 days of getting up at 5, I've done 30 days of no caffeine, I've done meditation every day, and then noticing, because everyone's different, noticing what's the formula, you're like, oh man, when I can go biking in the morning, great, or I can jump in the sauna, great. But when I have a morning meeting at 10, I'm pretty angry because I didn't create a business so that I have to do these kind of things or I don't want to. And then just experiment around that and seeing how you can create, frankly, the, the life and week you want to live. And Jake, who read the book, he said something to me that, I, that was really powerful. And I've been thinking about it every day since a few months ago. He said, have stuff in your calendar you look forward to. Put it in the calendar. Put a date night in the cow. Put a workout in the cow. And if you don't have anything in life you're excited about, put it in the calendar. That's, that really stuck with me. I literally today just put a recurring monthly date night on the calendar. So Hell yeah. That was actually, that was a business from a buddy last week. Date night nannies. 
where they help you suggest either day night and every month or weekly, you can subscribe to different amounts, have that as an opportunity. Well, yeah, it's kind of interesting business. A big takeaway for me reading the book, talking to you is just there's this, especially in the Bay Area, but this belief that entrepreneurship is a career versus an option. I, I don't know what the, the option is probably the wrong word, but you don't have to choose between entrepreneurship and employment. And if you do, you can punt on that decision. There's a thousand things you can do when you want to explore an idea, as you say, in a weekend, way before you have to decide quitting your job, way before you have to raise money, build a product and all this stuff. And I think so many people often get turned around. And if anyone out there, just because I've taken this phone call like 10 times... So I started a company doing financial planning online. And we raised money, spent a few years and realized that the reason why that business is so hard to build is solely that it is almost impossible to acquire customers at any fast cadence. Because people all want to change their finances. They all want to improve their financial life, but they just don't want to do it right now. And so what we learned in the worst way possible, but I'll come back and I'll give a lesson, is that we asked people, do you want to do this? Put $100 down. And we got all these people to put $100 down. And so we were like, wow, there's real demand. The challenge is then we said, all right, let's get started. Do you want to pay the rest? And they're like, no, not, not now. And we were like, oh, we'll give you your $100 back. And they said, no, 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 don't, don't give us the $100 back. We want to do this. We just don't want to do it now. And converting people off that wait list was almost impossible. So a lot of these founders call me and they say, hey, I want to start a company. We want to do online financial planning. And I'm like, stop everything and just find out if you can acquire people. Like, can you sell this in a way that you could repeat? And if not, don't go hire the engineering team. Don't go build the product. And it just got me thinking, especially reflecting on the last 24 hours of prepping for this conversation. If I had spent a weekend just validating whether there were ways to sell financial planning and like close the client quickly, per se... I probably wouldn't have even needed to start the company because at the end of the day, the challenge is people aren't ready to start now. And if you just listen to the problem, the problem is, oh, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. But if you don't actually take whether... I think it's step two in your process to actually validate that the thing you want to do will solve the problem and work, you kind of get lost. How many of your audience is in Silicon Valley? Definitely the minority, but I'd say sub 5%, but definitely my experience at least. It's interesting because a lot of people have heard that advice, you know, get going, and but then they don't. And then it's like, well, what's happening there? And they're afraid. And so how do we do it in small, fun ways, kind of almost games where it's like, okay, if you fail, fine, but at least you're starting to feel more confident. Now, I saw a Silicon Valley company called Artifacts, I think it's what it's called, raised $3.5 million, and they'll film a video of your grandma or grandpa, Pappy. And I was like, I could have easily found out in a weekend, that whole business. I didn't need to raise any money. I could literally... Everyone's got a grandfather and grandmother or parent. You can contact people in your network. Hey, can I film your grandfather or grandfather? I'll go to their house or Zoom them for half the price and I could record and create a memory capsule for you. I could make more than $3 million in the next few years before I even have some complicated Silicon Valley website. And it was just a cool reminder that this didn't really apply in a lot of different areas. And guess what? If no one wanted it, if I called up, I don't know, maybe I can call up Chris as someone in my network. Like you have probably you have parents. See if that's a problem. See if you even want to pay for it. And if you don't, great. I didn't go and raise money, build a pitch deck, build something that no one wants. Also, there's a lot of companies that raise so much money that the business doesn't work at the scale. So let's pretend that this company goes out of business. 
might not actually mean it's a bad idea. Someone listening to this podcast right now might be like, well, let's just start doing this. It might not work at the speed and cadence investors would want it to be, which is why that company could or could not fail. But that doesn't mean it's not a good business. Financial planning is actually a great business. It's just not a great software business at the scale investors need. So I'm happy that we haven't tried to raise money to turn this into a venture-backed podcast. The reality, it doesn't always work. And people are so close to yeses if they just got some no's, right? Like if they just started asking like, hey, I'm going to try this business. It didn't work. Okay, great. But people are giving up way too soon. They're all giving up way too soon. If they, and if they could just wait till they, not even wait, keep going, keep going, keep going. Eventually you will find that thing. And I mean, it took me, I think 20 different business ideas to finally get to AppSumo that finally worked. And I was like, all right, great. It's working. My favorite business is the one that works. So I'm just going to stick with this. And I would say year after year showing up, it's now producing you know great dividends and that's available worldwide. Well, so one of the skills you mentioned was just getting going, right? And I think in the book, you say now, not how. Let's talk about that because I think that's a skill that applies whether you're starting a company or whether you're just working on anything. And it's a skill I'm pretty bad at. So that's why I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to ask you to coach me and people listening. When you have the mind of, oh, great, I need to do this thing. Take uh, fitness. You're like, oh, I, I, I want to start working out. Okay, well, let's go research what the best training program is. Let's go ask 10 of my friends. Is there maybe a coach I should hire? It's like, or just go lift some weights, go on a run. You seem like someone who also, you know, you wrote a book, like to do some research, like to put thought behind things. How do you contrast that to just get going? I want to avoid getting going really fast in the wrong direction, right? So the whole concept is how do I get going? See if it works. If it works, great. I'm going to go fast in that direction. So what do you think is the last thing you avoided or you took longer on than maybe you think you have to, needed to or wanted to? I mean, I can think of a few things that I just haven't done yet. What are examples of that? My wife and I talk a lot about, and I get lots of emails from people like, gosh, you have such great content. Like, why aren't you posting it anywhere else? I don't like podcasts. You can put it in a newsletter. We started doing that. And then someone was like, LinkedIn might be great. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should go figure out what the best way to do LinkedIn is. I don't know. I'm using a little bit of an, an extreme, but also not. That's okay. My default is like, go master the thing before doing it. And even though I know that that's the wrong path, the right path would be like, well, just write something and post it and see what people think. But sometimes I have to get out of my own head there. And so I'm curious if you have any yeah. thoughts on encouraging people who are like, well, I want to start this thing. I want to think about it. I'm not sure. Like you could just do it. Well, so a few things there, but let's just take this LinkedIn. It's a great example. What's held you back from posting it today? Probably not sure what the right format is. Not sure what the right topic is. Probably a little bit of there are professional people there that know me and don't want to look like an idiot posting something stupid in front of like a professional group. But I don't know. Those are a couple. Those are great. And that's super common, right? We're embarrassed. I remember posting on Facebook and then this person from high school, I knew they saw it and I felt, I really felt embarrassed. Like, oh, what are they thinking of me? And that's part of what this is about, right? It's finding confidence in ourselves through action. And so, I guess I would also wonder, I think there's a bigger discussion about like, is LinkedIn really the most helpful in your business? And I, I think that's a separate thing. What would happen if you posted today? Do you post anywhere? Where do you post anything? I'm not active on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere. Oh, and how do people even hear about this podcast? Though? Interesting thing. Most people find out about podcasts on podcasts. So word of mouth and being a guest on other shows maybe some newsletter stuff, but it certainly wasn't 
Instagram or Twitter probably for most people, though I'm sure someone listening will write back that, no, 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 it was for me. And then maybe let's let's do a parallel. So when you finally put yourself out there on the podcast, how did it feel? I don't know. It just felt natural. I, I think you wrote something about this somewhere. But it's like, I'm not the kind of person who's like always taking pictures all the time and wanting to share them with the world. So like Instagram seems so unnatural. It's so forced. If someone's like, just post more photos on Instagram. I'm like, I just don't want to do that. It's not what I do. And I also think what I would, you know, in business and same with this stuff, and we can go back to now, not how it's how do you do more of what's working? And what's working for you is podcast. So I would say, how do you do more of that in the now? Not necessarily like something you don't really want to do. Like, yes, I could go post on those areas, but I don't like that either. Where I'd see the now, not how concept is mostly for people who are not starting. They're just not getting started, right? And that's what's really holding back. You're already going. So going and starting something off in a new direction isn't what makes sense. Doubling down on what's working is what makes sense for you. And that's what we encourage later in the, in the book, in the process. I guess the two things I would say is, you can practice not a how and really stupid things. And I've found that really helpful. Like practice it when there's something on the ground. Because you'll go to your closet tonight, Chris. I don't know if you're organized, but sometimes maybe you close on the ground or you're in the garage and kids left something on the ground. You're like, I'll get it tomorrow. And I tell myself, now, not how. Ah, damn it. And the idea with now, not how is that we are in general thinking about, well, if I want to start a business, I got to do all this stuff. It's like, no, just get going. Try to find a customer. And I've noticed there's a guy named Rico he just started posting online and he said, I made $4.70. He just started posting in his Facebook groups and stuff. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know, just now. I'm just doing it. I'm not worrying about if people really love it or not. And you're doing it before fear catches up. And I like doing it in kind of silly ways. You know, I live and I, I do this stuff. So I said, let me just do a now, not how that anyone can copy. So I texted my girlfriend. I said, what's one thing right now you can tell me that I can do to improve our relationship? And so... She actually wrote a really great response. I'm not going to share it. But she said, baby, it's a difficult question. Da, da, da. That was just because right in the now, I, I asked for something versus, okay, now let me go to therapy or let me have a date night and then we're going to have a sit down. But just right now, I asked for something and I got feedback. And you can do that in your job right now. You can do that in, in starting a business right now. You can do that in social media right now. And I think a lot of times people are like, well, how do I approach it? How do I? And don't worry about the how. Just get going on the now. How does that maybe relate to what do you think is something that you think would actually benefit you and things going on that maybe you can consider as an experiment doing right now? It's funny. In the last 24 hours, I did an experiment. And so I'll, I'll share it because it was a success. And I think it's a great story. There are a handful of people that listeners have said, you should have come on the show or I thought would be interesting. And I wasn't quite sure what would be the perfect conversation. And so I'll give one example of Dan Pink. So he's an author. He's been on the show in the past. And I was like, we had a great conversation. I like his reading, his writing. I was like, I should just have him back on the show as soon as I figure out what the topic is. Because I don't know what the topic's going to be. And so last night, I just we spoke yesterday about this conversation. I just sent him a note. And I was like, hey, I would love to have you back on the show. We had a great conversation. I'll figure out what it'll be about. But if you're interested, here's a link. And then this morning, he just scheduled the link. And we're going to record an episode in a week or maybe two weeks. And so... I know I'm going to find a thing and I just needed that motivation to do it. So I would say, had we not talked, that would be a great example of something I wasn't doing. But because I've been thinking about this, I just tried to put in the action. And I would say there's like three or four guests that are coming on the show in the next month that are all as a result of outreach in the last 24 hours that I was just like, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's just like, let's not wait for the perfect time. Maybe the hint is you just need to constantly remind yourself and practice. It's a muscle you have to build. and even though I knew I was supposed to do it all along, it was just hard. And now I just need to do it more and see the benefit. That's great, man.
That was cool. Yeah, the, the things are never as scary as we think, and they're never as hard. And I would say that the book, what, what, what really is the book, yes, it's business and money and changing your life in 48 hours, but it's about learning who you can become through business. I would say it's like the Marie Kondo of business is what, what we aimed for, which is, yes, it has mindset, it has recipes, but it's really how do we do things we didn't think we could do and we could live lives we didn't think we could live. Literally, the now, not how is the number one takeaway from the book. There's definitely a lot of other things and tactics and all that other stuff, but we survey every beta reader and it was like, oh my God, I just realized like I'm distracting myself from things that actually matter and I can do it much quicker than I realized. And especially, if, you know, someone like yourself, because you've got a family, you're busy, all these things, but just getting in the now, just literally doing the now, you realize the, the results that can come for it. So that was awesome to hear. I'm glad it inspired you in the now. It takes a while, right? Like you gave plenty of examples in the book. You have the law of a hundred, like Look at some of the most successful business people you talked about. Like, you need to start now because it's going to take, it can take years for things to work. Well, and the, the law of 100 for people out there is just commit to 100 of something, right? So 100 podcasts or 100 days or 100 emails. And it's about how to not quit too soon. And I got, I got to shout you out where the book starts about the power of starting and the, and the upside of asking. And you also said, hey, no, what about me coming on your show? You have a lot of my, a lot of my content is about entrepreneurship. And I was like, I thought about it a lot last night. I was like, I like that he asked. Because, you know, the upside of an ask is you get something that you want. The downside is maybe a moment of, of a rejection. And the more that people can practice that skill, they realize like there's a lot more out there for them. And they're not just getting what they get. They're getting what they want. If you want to go deeper, I did an episode, anyone listening with Aziz Ghazipura, we talked a lot about rejection therapy and, and like lots of different ways that you can practice getting rejected You've got one where you ask people at a coffee shop to just give you 10% discount or friends to give you a dollar, which are both great tactics. But for anyone who's like, let's double click there. We're not going to spend 20 minutes on it. But that episode went deep there. There's a lot of rejection out there. <laughs> I know people don't realize how much rejection happens for people that are getting the things they want because they're only seeing the things they get. Right? Like, oh, it must be good for her because she seems to have a great thing. But it's like, yeah, you don't know all the other things that she tried to get to where she is. And so I do think it's good in fun ways. You know, in the book, we have all these different little silly, yeah, as you called it, silly little challenges. And guess what? You kind of should be laughing. And then throughout the book, you're kind of, it should be enjoyable. It shouldn't be this big, scary thing that you have to overcome, but you just have to face yourself. And everyone can do that. And, I, and that's what I'm out here cheerleading to encourage people to do that. Because I don't want people living what if. And I have someone close to me where they feel like they're, they don't have power to change their lives and they do. So... You talk a lot about making the ask. What about the follow-up? How do you feel about how often you should follow up? What, what When you get a no, can you get a, a yes later? I think that's why my, I'm named no. My future kid, my girlfriend is pregnant. We were going to name him C, you know, C in Spanish for Sia. But my girlfriend vetoed that name. Most people don't ever follow up. A lot of times in, in hiring, I'll, I'll just delete after the first email just to see who follows up. And very, very few ever follow up. Now, just to share a story... You guys heard me talk about John Paul DeJoria earlier, but what you didn't hear is that I saw him on the streets. I just went up to him. I was bicycling. I was in spandex and I was like, oh my God, I've been dreaming of interviewing you. I'd love to interview you. And he said, cool, here's my assistant. He doesn't have a computer. He said, here's my assistant's number, call her. So I call her that night. She's like, oh, cool. He's not available. I was like, what do you mean? I met him on the street. He said, yes. <laughs> I was in spandex. Don't you remember? And she's like, uh, well, give me a call later. And then here's my email. I followed up with her every week for a year. And then one Friday, she called me and she said, hey, he can meet you Monday at 8 a.m. Can you be there? And I was like, hell yeah, I'll be there. One, it was amazing to meet him, but it was a, a great interview. 
of him sharing his story and, and really inspiring a lot of people in business journeys. But you don't, you didn't know that I got rejected 50 weeks to get to that point. And I asked her in person, I thought this was the most interesting part of that, where I recorded it and I said, wasn't I annoying? Didn't that bother you? Like this guy, excuse me. She's like, no, I, I respected you. I admired that you really wanted it and you were willing to follow up with that. You didn't bug me every, every day, but every week she knows I'm going to call her or email her. And there's something about that in whatever the things we actually want in life are. And so if you can be clear in what you actually want, which is sometimes harder than we think, then it makes it much easier to then say, all right, well, at least need to make it easy to follow up because that's how you're going to get the things you want. My favorite quote is, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease, which is still strange. But really, it's just like if you're making noise and you're kind of persisting, I do think eventually persistence beats resistance. Another one of my favorites. So, yeah, most people are not following up. I think you could also probably call out things that you're afraid of. So if you're afraid that they're going to be like, this person's annoying, you could be like, hey, I'm just following up because I know this interview is going to be amazing. Don't feel like you need to reply. I'm going to keep, you know, like you could kind of couch out some of the things. But if you get someone who thinks they have to reply to the email, it might be annoying, but if they're okay, just archiving it at the end. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. There's definitely a difference between no and not yet. And what I've noticed with rejection or with asking in general is that everyone's got things going on and it's hard to really know. Like we make these stories up about others like, oh, they rejected me. They hate me. And then I followed up with people. And they're like, hey, thanks for bringing it back to my attention. I was really busy. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and so there are tools, right? Like followup.cc and there's Google Snooze and there's your calendar and there's frankly pen and paper. But just make sure you follow up on these things. And at AppSumo and personally, even with my own you know, sales over the years, I noticed about half of our sales, it's almost half come through the follow-up. And I think that's so insane of a data point where that the first time almost no one's responding, but the second time I'm getting half of the sales. Maybe more likely for others to think about how they can follow up. My sister worked in sales for a long time. She had these automated sequences. And like the fifth email was one about crocodiles. I don't know if you, anyone listening or you have ever gotten this email. And it was just like, sorry about the crocodiles. And the email said, you open the email and it's like, not sure what happened. Haven't heard from you, but maybe you got eaten by crocodiles. I'm not sure. If so, I hope everything's okay. Would still love to chat. And she was like, that email killed it. It was like, after someone didn't respond five times, she would just send this like Hail Mary email that actually got people to respond and close deals. Well, what I've, what I've, I get these emails too, and I find them kind of, I don't know, kitschy a little bit. But I, I think what's powerful for me to recognize, and I was thinking of the acronym WIFT, what's in it for them. And I think when most people are sending stuff, it's like, what's, what's in it for me? <laughs> you know, it's like, here's my thing. No one's ever really making it obvious why it's such a good thing for the other person. And what they do also is they do it in the same medium that everyone's doing it. So if you're doing it on LinkedIn, it's going to be hard. If you do it on Twitter, it might be a little easier. If you do it on email, it might be. And so again, I think it's like, what's the medium where they're not getting harassed? And then as you're communicating with them, how do you make sure that Hey, based on what you're doing, I know this is going to be good for you. Like, for instance, I do social media. You, you can check that out online. People, I, I get literally, I'm not joking, 30 messages a day. Hey, can I be your editor for your content? And one out of a thousand will actually send me something. They'll show me, not tell me. And they're thinking about what's in it for me. They're like, well, I showed you what I can do. And that guy got hired. He, he gets six-figure salary working for me on the YouTube channel. So... I think there's just different other elements of one besides the follow-up, even the asking by practicing it, you will get better at the ask. Yeah. I tell everyone I know who's trying to get on podcasts. I'm like, I get 
lots of pitches and all of them are from people who have clearly never listened to the show ever. And then one in a hundred is someone like, hey, listen to your show. Here's an episode that might make sense. And I'm like, I'm excited. It doesn't always work. But I get all these emails that are like, would you like to have an interview with someone who built a career out of buying storage units? And I was like, no, I don't I don't have an interview entrepreneurs about their story. I'm like, let's learn some tactics. So it goes so far to do a little bit of homework to make an email actually relevant to the person reading it. Anything. I mean, even let me give you an example on day jobs, because you told me that a lot of your audience is day jobs. There's two messages I hate most in the world, or there's one message, but it could go both ways that I hate most in the world. And it was like, no, we have to talk. And that's when I get it from someone who works with me. And I'm like, well, they're quitting today. And I'm like, well, that's frustrating. So I got that message two days ago from Kellen. And I was like, we got to talk. I was like, okay. She put together a two-page document showing me, and I won't share her numbers, but showing me what she's done for AppSumo and all she's created. And she said... I know we're going to get, come up on raises. I just want to show you what I've done. And based on also data from external raises, like might make sense for you to give me a raise. She made it very easy. And normally you get the opposite words, people quitting. When you're at a company, create more value for the company. It's very easy to get paid more at that company. And it was so cool. She didn't just tell me about that. She showed that to me. I had an au pair once, the, the one au pair that didn't work out well. And she was like, I want more money. And we were like, why? And she's like, because I want it. And my wife was like, from a teaching standpoint, I want to sit down and show you that you should have come and said, here was all the things I've been doing. Here's all this work. But it was like the most frustrating. They was just like, because I want it. It didn't happen. But just good lessons out there for all of us. And like, you know, what is it again? It's an ask, right? And it's, it's a skill. Like I knock on doors on these videos where I knock on houses and ask what they do for a living. It's very uncomfortable, right? And I still get a lot of anxiety, but I don't ask them, hey, what do you do for a living? Because that's a weird ask. But I go to the door and compliment them. And that's something you can do for anyone you want to ask something for. I go to houses I love and I say, I love your house. Like, oh my God, really? Yeah. Like, tell me about it. Wow. What did you do to afford this kind of house? It's so cool. And oh yeah, we're doing a documentary about houses in the neighborhood. And I think we create narratives about why people are going to reject us and we stop before we ever start. And that's the same reason like I ask people on first class seats or ask to fly in someone's private jet. And you'd be surprised at what can happen if you just ask. I feel like obliged to just make an ask then just to just demonstrate. You this. did. So, <laughs> What's your You did. You asked to come on my show. I know, but I you, you, you already said yes. So now I got to I got to keep going. <laughs> like I'm going to come good. to Austin. We'll record an episode and then I'm going to sit down and lay out my plan for what we're doing with the business and then get your feedback. You, you up for that? OK, now you're imposing. Now you're imposing. OK, hold on. Slow, slow your roll. One, I'm flying to Spain two weeks. So you have to follow me out there. But again, I think with ask, people think it is an imposition, right? And they're like, but go back to what's in it for me. Noah, I know you're trying to do this content. I saw that your most popular podcasts were on solopreneurship. I've had a day job. I started a podcast. Here's some of the things that can make it really appealing for you where most people send generic templates. And so if you can think about what's in it for the other person and you put a little bit of effort into it, like this guy, Jay, I just hired this guy, Jay, 17 years old, lives with his parents. He's coming to the book launch party for Million Dollar Weekend. Uh, I paid for a ticket for his dad to come with him, which is so cool. I was like, that's just cool. And Jay didn't ask me for a job. He put together a 30-point Google Slides presentation about everything in my social media and email that sucked and what he's going to do about it. And now Jay makes more than anyone else in it. He probably makes, I don't know if he makes more than all of his teachers, but pretty soon he will. Just because he, me didn't make an ask to come work, but he also put in the work to show me why it was such a no-brainer for him to get this job. I love that. The only thing that I didn't hit on was I know you've talked in the past about being cheap. 
and that you've been able to learn how to spend. I was curious if you had any advice on that. I can still be practical. I think we shouldn't label ourselves as cheap. I was using your words that you, you've said. That. <laughs> I was pretty cheap, I would say, or practical up until COVID. And I think a lot of our society is taught about making money is no one ever talks about enjoying money. And I'll tell you, everyone should at least be rich. And then you can decide if you want to go back to being poor. And, you know, I grew up middle class and I, I think there's a middle class mentality where you're trained to be stuck in that, that path and realizing you can actually get out of it. And spending money and enjoying money has been one of the best things the past three years. I was telling someone two days ago, if my house burned down, the first thing I'm taking is my toilet. I've got this like $6,000 Toto Japanese toilet. That's just killer. Like, I don't like leaving my house because of toilet. Like my girlfriend now is like, I understand. Dude, come over. When you come over, you'll try it. This is so funny. Our last au pair, fantastic, from Spain. We asked her, what are you going to miss most when you leave America and go back to Barcelona? Or, or she lives near Barcelona in a town called Tarragona. She's like, oh, yeah, that toilet. <laughs> that, oh, do you have to have a nice toilet? Yeah, yeah. She's like, I never want to sit on a cold toilet again. <laughs> oh, the toilet. It's got water. It cleans itself. But, you know, in terms of being cheap, it's easy to not be cheap if you have money. But I've also interviewed Larry Janeski, whose company does $600 million a year in basements, who just recently, he's I think in his 50s, he just recently started flying first class. He didn't share his number exactly. I'm guessing he's at least worth $100 million liquid. He just got out of flying economy. Now, again, for me in COVID, I, w I realized, okay, I'm not, not sure how long I'm going to live here. Let me try and experiment different things in my life and see how much of a difference it makes. Because I was always taught that materialism is bad. And if you get more, you're going to be unhappy and you become a victim to it. And so I tried buying a fancy car. I hated it. I sold it for a loss after a month. And then I tried renting fancy houses. I rented like this Malibu beach house, which was insane. That was super cool because during COVID, everything was like really cheap. And then I rented a lake house in Austin. Then I rented a nice RV. And then I came back home to my 800 foot shack that literally just flooded last night that has, you know, cockroaches and the floors are cracked and the, the walls are cracked. It has electricity and toilets. So by the way, it's not horrible, but it's pretty bad. And because I tried fancier things and nicer things, I was like, wow, I'm, I was much happier there. And I would say my standard of happiness has been the baseline is significantly higher since I moved into this house. Yeah. I mean, I love this lesson. Go try out the ways to spend money because you'll never know which ones make a difference. You know what a rich thing for me is buying Fiji water. I don't know why I've actually blind taste tested them and I never choose Fiji. <laughs> so I clearly don't give a crap about the taste of it, but it makes me feel rich. And it's like, okay, cool. That mattered to me. Let's do that. Or bicycles. I think the easy way to spend money is where you spend your time. I bike a lot. So I have two identical $15,000 bicycles in America and in Spain. Or your bed. You spend a lot of time there. The thing that ultimately transformed it was one line in my yearly goals. And it's a goal every year to donate at least 1% or spend the rest of my money on myself or others. And that one goal, which I look at my goals often, transformed my own generosity to myself and others. And now it's a lot easier. Yesterday, I literally got an email. It's like, I was donating to this camp I went to as a kid, $180 a year. And they send me a receipt. They're like, oh, you've been donating $180 a month. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's part of my 1%. That's fine. And so whatever I make in the year, at least be open to investing in myself, spending in others, or donating. And that definitely is, has been powerful. So you mentioned your goals. How do you set goals? I think with goal setting... I'd break it down really simply. One, try to have goals that you stick to each year and each year they just get a little bit more on the goal. So my goal is every year in the past, it would be like, okay, I did X. Now let me go do Y. No, just do, do X plus 0.1. And then next year do X plus 0.2. 
So that was definitely a transformation that helped me in my goals. And then I like breaking my goals down in categories. And I, I look at my goals, I'll show you, I have them everywhere. So on my phone, I have a thing called daily that's pinned. And it's just all the goals that I have for this year. And so I'd recommend people have four categories, work, health, personal, and travel. And then try to think about what are three things in each of these things that you'd really, really like. And the easy way that you could find this out, and this is, this is what I like to do. I've done this on a few decades since it worked for me, is write your fantasy. So create a fantasy novel of the year. Just go to your journal in the morning and be like, okay, if it's the end of December 31st, 2024, this year, or 2020, whatever, what does my fantasy look like? All right, I was on Joe Rogan. All right, all the hacks finally I posted on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm a LinkedIn influencer, which LinkedIn is pretty annoying. Let's, let's just be real, super annoying. You know, I took my wife on a baby moon to the Maldives, which seems like a far flight. So let's go somewhere else. Maybe, I don't know, Tenerife, who knows? I want to bike across uh, the Alps, right? And you make this crazy story of yourself and then sit with it for a little bit and then think about, okay, what do I, what would be really cool? What are these, do I really, am, am I genuinely motivated? And then I try to have three per each of these categories. And I like sharing mine with others. I have an accountability partner, Adam Gilbert from mybodytutor.com. And then I review them every single Sunday as part of that weekly review thing I do. Love it. All right. So we've gone through so much and I want to inspire people to go and do something. Doesn't have to be this weekend, but some weekend. I got a chance to read the book before it comes out, but I highly encourage people to check it out. Where do you want to send people to check out more of everything you're working on or the book? Yeah, milliondollarweekend.com. Take the 48-hour challenge. It's the same thing with diets. There's never a good time for a diet. <laughs> and it's easy to keep giving excuses about why it's not right. And you know, I think if people even committed an hour this upcoming weekend, it would be surprising and amazing how far ahead they can be you know, and what they can do in just a very short amount of time. I love it. Thanks for sharing it with me. Thanks for being here. I'll see you at my house. I guess you're coming over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Unannounced. Knock, knock. I like your house. <laughs> yeah. That was so great. Noah is amazing, and I think I'm gonna try to adopt his now not how mantra for my life and business. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you're one of the few people who haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, now would be a great time to leave one for two reasons. One, it looks like we are right on the cusp of a 4.8 rating rounding up to 4.9. And two, we're about to launch a new website that's actually gonna feature some of your reviews on the website. So thank you all in advance. That's it for this week. I will see you next week. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. So I want to talk about an amazing resource, the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast, where every week, NerdWallet's in-house experts and financial journalists set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. The nerds have already helped me get smarter about saving money on groceries, avoiding some of the latest financial scams, and boosting my credit score since it's actually been going a little bit up and a little bit more down lately as I've been taking advantage of a few recent credit card offers. They also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life so you'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.